continuing a series that uh, those of you have been coming out uh, know we've uh, already been working our way through on the Holy Spirit and uh, trying to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Spirit and how the Spirit is at work. Uh, I think for some of us, the Holy Spirit feels like the least uh, understood part of how we, how we know and what we understand about God, and so uh, that's why we're doing this. And uh, to get into our theme tonight, our theme tonight is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, assures us, uh, assures us of our salvation. Uh, and to, to get into that question, uh, I want to ask this, does God want us to live in doubt and in fear? Uh, does God want us to live with an abiding sense of uh, uncertainty? Uh, always plagued um, with questions like, am I really saved? Uh, does God really love me? And I don't think so. I don't think he, he wants us to, to live that way. Certainly, there are some statements in the New Testament that could fuel those kinds of questions and that kind of uncertainty. Uh, there are warnings in the New Testament. There are exhortations to uh, persevere and to behave in ways that are appropriate to people who know and, and honor God. Just one example, 2 Corinthians 13 calls a warning the Corinthians toward the end, and he says to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And undoubtedly there are times when uh, any uh, Christian uh, benefits from hearing these kinds of words of warning and of exhortation to persevere in our faith uh, and in our obedience to Christ. Uh, sometimes we become complacent or, or uncaring or apathetic or our hearts begin to be turned away from God. And uh, yes, in those times we, we need to hear those words of challenge. And yet the overall tenor of the New Testament is that God does not want his children to be living this ongoing sense of doubt and uncertainty and fear. He wants his beloved children to have a deep, deep uh, sense of security in his uh, great and his precious promises. Uh, as, as Daniel prayed just a minute ago, God, God wants to still our souls and to give us peace. And so I want to talk for a minute about God as one who keeps his promises before we jump uh, into the text that we're going to focus on tonight. Because I think it's important that our, our security, our assurance, uh, what I'm talking about here, that, that we are God's, is grounded ultimately in God himself. Why do I say that? Well, God always keeps his promises. Uh, that is his nature. God cannot deny himself, his own being, his own essence. And, you know, any one of us uh, might rightly be skeptical about human promises, whether they be uh, small or, or large, because people don't always keep their promises. Uh, we've come in, in, in our nation to accept it as a given, right, with our politicians, that they never keep their promises. Um, and so Americans don't trust their elected officials. But others, uh, our parents, our children, our siblings, spouses, you know, spouses may break their, their vows. 
friends may uh, not do what they said they would do. A salesman, okay. Uh, none of us keeps our word, I don't think, in every instance. And so we may wonder, is God like that? Well, no, God is not like us. God doesn't forget what he said he would do. He doesn't get distracted by other things and move on. He doesn't change his mind. He is the God of truth. And he is faithful. And he, he, he's not only a God of good intentions, he has both the resources and the will to do whatever he has said God is a promise to And so I, I want to begin there that our salvation is grounded in God himself, in his character. And so if, if the question you, you might ask is, well, what must I do to be saved as, as a, uh, a man at the time of uh, the Apostle Paul asked? God's answer is what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is a straightforward word of promise. Believe and you will be saved. I promise. Or whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, will not perish but have everlasting life. John 16. This is God's promise, and God keeps His promises. So our security, if you're a Christian tonight, your security is not grounded in yourself. It's not about trying hard enough. It's not about believing in your own goodness, or your own strength, or your own integrity, or your own character. As a matter of fact, ultimately, it is about despairing of all of those things. It, it is about recognizing that none of those things are sufficient. If that's what it takes, then no, I don't have any assurance. Despairing of those things and casting ourselves upon God. By grace you are saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2. So God says, trust in what I have done for you. Don't trust in what you're trying to do for me. Believe in me, and I will keep my word. But, but wonderfully, and this is wonderful, that God is a promise keeper. There, there, is, there is more. God is apparently so concerned for those who believe in Jesus that, that we would have a deep sense of security in that, that he takes, as it were, additional steps to give uh, assurance that, yes, I will make good on my promises. And the text that we're going to be looking at for a few minutes tonight spells that out and directs us uh, there. So this is from Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and, and 14. Just these two verses. This comes toward the end of uh, one of the longest uh, sentences in the Bible in which uh, Paul is just in a cascading way reflecting upon how God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. And he's, as he gets uh, toward the end, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is what? The gospel of your salvation, and what? And believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the 
praise of his glory. Here's another version. Uh, Chris, this is what this is what Chris likes to read. Is the uh, the message. Right, These are the same verses. And I think this is a good capture. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. So as we think about these verses, maybe we can go back to the previous slide and read that one up on things. Uh, let's think first of all about, I just want to spend a few minutes on our salvation as an inheritance, and then we want to look at these these uh, other two words, this word that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. So, first of all, notice that in this text, our, our salvation is spoken of as, as an inheritance, and I, I think we all understand that language, something uh, promised, laid up uh, for the future, and, and therefore uh, uh, an additional reason for hope. And the idea of Inheritance figures prominently in all cultures. It's prominent in the Old Testament, and uh, if, if you know the Old Testament narrative at all, particularly of God's promise to Abraham that he would uh, give to Abraham as an inheritance uh, a land uh, that he would bring uh, Abraham's descendants into, uh, a land that he would show them and bring them into. So that inheritance, in that sense, is a, is a very physical piece of property. But even in the Old Testament with God's people, the inheritance uh, of God's people was never understood exclusively in in that sort of material way. Uh, Frequently in the Old Testament, God himself is spoken of as as the believer's inheritance or or portion. For example, one of the twelve tribes, the, the Levites, were never promised uh, an allocation of, of the land, an allotment of the land, but, but God said to them, no, I himself, I, I myself will be your inheritance. Uh, and, and that comes in, in uh, Numbers 18, where God says, I am your portion and your inheritance. Uh, this idea of God as, as the inheritance of his people uh, is, is a is a, such a precious concept, and some of our f- favorite texts in the Old Testament uh, use this language. For example, uh, Psalm 16 that we often read at Easter uh, because it was, it was preached on the occasion of the, of, of the resurrection of Christ. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful or the great Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so this language of inheritance and of God himself as the, 
as the portion and inheritance of his people is, is prominent in the Old Testament and, and carries over into the New. For example, in Hebrews 9.15, speaking of Christ, he is the mediator between God and mankind. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Or this uh, great passage where Peter speaks in terms of uh, the language of, of us being heirs and of an inheritance. According to his great mercy, 1 Peter 1, God has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, uh, that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is kept preserved, protected in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so Paul himself, in, in, just a little later than the, the, the verses uh, that we're looking at here, he prays that, that God would give believers a, a clear and deep understanding of what he has promised, he says, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of uh, his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul wants you, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to understand that you are an heir and that there is an inheritance for you that is being protected and preserved. And so, so one way to understand salvation in Christ is in, in this language of something promised, something laid up for us in the future, something to look forward to with eagerness and, and anticipation. And in that sense, salvation is, is, is uh, not only, uh, say, deliverance from or forgiveness of sins, but it's a future inheritance of the children of God in which we enjoy the fullness of God's presence, communion with him forever. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And that is fulfilled in Christ. But, you know, we use the language of inheritance. How do we, how do we know that God's not going to forget us or disinherit us? How, how do we know God's not going to, uh, so to speak, write us out of his will? You know, because people do this. Um, Debbie had a great aunt uh, who was uh, apparently frequently changing her will based on which family member uh, was out of her good graces at any given time. And the family lived somewhat, because she was a little bit more wealthy, uh, and somewhat in fear of this. And so by all out of Inky's uh, good graces, she may write you out of her will. Is God like that? Right? That if if I if I fall out of his good graces, he's gonna he's gonna cross my name out. No, he's not. Because as we've already said, God always keeps his promises. We can be assured that if if we put our hope in him, there is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. God will not disappoint those who trust in him. And, and in, in this text, that is underscored by these, these two words, this idea of being 
sealed by the Spirit, and that the Spirit is a guarantee of, of our inheritance. Because there's, there's a sense in which God wants to impress this so upon us that He's not simply going to leave us with a bare word of promise, as wonderful as that would be. He takes additional steps to assure us that He will keep His word. And here is where the Holy Spirit has this primary role. As the text says, the Spirit is spoken of in terms of being a seal, a seal who uh, will, will guarantee our inheritance, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and as a guarantee. Now, now let's think about those two terms just for a minute. Um, a seal. Uh, this, this, again... It was perhaps somewhat more common uh, in ancient times than, than it is now uh, in terms of its importance and significance, but I think we all get this idea. It's a mark or, or an emblem, um, perhaps uh, on a, an authenticating mark. So sometimes if uh, I've had to do certain kinds of official business, I might need to get it notarized. I don't know if you've ever business with that, and you have to go find somebody who can do this, and there has to be a witness, and then when somebody notarizes something, they actually have a seal that they will uh, put right on the paper as as an embossed uh, mark to say, yes, this is authentic. Uh, uh, A seal is also, um, maybe if you come out of a more agricultural or rural or uh, agrarian Type culture, you, you, you might know that one way that cattle, for example, are uh, marked as belonging to a particular owner is with a brand, um, which is burned right into their uh, into their side, uh, and that's a mark uh, that is put upon the animal of ownership. Uh, and so, when Paul speaks of us as being sealed by the Holy Spirit. I think there may be two aspects of this uh, that he has in in view. First, this idea that the Holy Spirit is given to believers in Jesus Christ as a mark of ownership. That believers in Christ are God's own possession. And there are places where the the language of Scripture makes this explicit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, the powerful passage where Paul is exhorting the Corinthians against sexual immorality and what they do with their bodies. And he's saying your body matters. And one of the ways he, he, he justifies this, he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so glorify God Holy Spirit is in the believer as a mark that we uh, are, are a redeemed uh, child of God, that, that we belong to Him. But sealing something uh, also, not only mark of ownership, but it can also uh, mean uh, taking steps to keep something safe. And the most maybe tangible, uh, physical example of this is, is that Jesus, after He was crucified and was buried, he was put in a tomb, and because of fear that people might try to steal the body, uh, the tomb was sealed, uh, which probably 
have to do not only with enclosed tightly, but probably even marked with uh, sort of a, a Roman seal. And sometimes you will still see this in, in places even like electric boxes on the side of a house. There will be a, a little band locking that box, and there will be a little, like a ring on it that has the, the, the electric company on it. And it's like, you're, you're not allowed to open this unless... Uh, unless you're authorized to do so. So to seal something is to sort of close it up and keep it safe. And in this sense, it it speaks of protection. So when Paul says that believers are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit, that means not only that they belong to God, but they are secure in God's protection. And that idea gets, gets worked out in places like Revelation chapter 7, which speaks of those who are, are sealed uh, with a mark from God. Um, and and what, what is the result of that? That means that they will be protected from harm and protected from, from judgment because they are marked by God. And so when God seals us as believers with His Spirit, He marks us as His own and he says, whether it's to, to judgment or to death or to Satan, uh-uh, don't touch that. That's mine. She belongs to me. She is mine. He is mine. Don't touch that. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's, that's the, the, the message of this, that God seals us by his spirit. And what a wonderful thought that is. That, that we might actually belong to God as, as his beloved. To know that he knows us, that he's committed to protecting us. And that's, a, that's a, an aspect of the Holy Spirit's work, to be reminding us all the time that I am my, I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, he says... The Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. And, and that word, is some translations will say a down payment. The Spirit is, is a pledge in the present toward this inheritance that we will receive in the future. It's, it's like a first installment or, a, a, or a, a foretaste of what is to come. Now, if I, anybody here speak modern Greek? Yeah, I don't care. Uh, but... I do, I do know from reading that in modern Greek, this word uh, that's used here, ar- arabon, uh, is used of an engagement ring. And so that, that's interesting if you, you think you hear of this idea of a guarantee or a pledge. And what's an engagement ring? What's, it's, a, it's a physical a symbol uh, of a promise, a commitment to marry. It's a, it's a beautiful symbol, especially if it's an expensive ring. Um, it's always <laughs> but but that does not but that doesn't quite capture what Paul is talking about uh, because an engagement ring think about it, it it's, a, it's a physical object that represents a promise uh, to marry and but it's not part of the marriage right uh, the marriage is still completely in the future. So when Paul speaks of the Spirit here as a, as a guarantee or as a down payment or as a pledge, he's not only describing 
uh, it's, it's, a, it's a token of something that's going to happen in the future. He's also speaking about present experience. And so, a better way to understand this language of the Spirit as a guarantee or a down payment is, is he's saying that the Spirit is given to believers in Christ as a first portion of what is yet to come. And that's why many translations use the language of down payment. So, in order to give believers a strong assurance and confidence that God will make good on his promise to save, that he will come back to get us, uh, uh, he gives a down payment, an earnest. And what is it? It is the Holy Spirit. And that is not a material object. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God himself. You know, and this is remarkable, and some of you might think, well, I don't know. You know, perhaps what, what we experience now of the Holy Spirit is almost nothing like what is yet to come. Perhaps what we experience now is only the smallest glimpse, but however small a glimpse it may be, here and now, in the present, God says to his beloved children, I, I dwell in you and with you as a, as, a, as a pledge, as a down payment, as a foretaste of the fullness of me that you will enjoy one day. And I think, we, I, I think that on this verse, which I think most of us read right over, oh, the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance, that, that ought to stop us dead in our tracks and say, wow, that's extraordinary. And, and I do think that God wants us to experience the Spirit now as a foretaste. It's not the whole shebang. It's a down payment. It's just a taste. But it is enough of a taste, I believe, to, for, for, for any believer in Jesus Christ to say, oh my, yes, that is very good. Yes. It's enough to say, yes, Lord, that. If that is only a foretaste of what is to come, that is worth waiting for. That is worth persevering for. Uh, that, is, that is worth waiting for until the day when, when I receive the fullness of what you are promising. And that, that's what Paul is describing when he speaks of the Spirit as, as a down payment that the promised blessings of salvation for the Christian are not all in the future. God gives us something now. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And you might be saying, well, how do I experience that? Because sometimes we, we struggle. I think any Christian struggles, maybe because we imagine that all the Christians around us, or at least some of them, are having an experience of the Spirit that we are not, and, and maybe we feel like, well, what, am I missing something? Or, or we might wonder, I don't know what the Spirit feels like. And um, so I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting it. Uh, and I think it's important for us to, to understand that the presence of the Spirit might not be perceived in exactly the ways we expect or would imagine. It might not be perceived primarily in terms of some sort of mystical or ecstatic experience. And, and frankly, I, I think we need to be careful not to focus too much on that. 
Because Scripture points us in other directions. And, and let me suggest, as, as we close, just a few of the ways that Scripture suggests that we experience the reality of, of the, the Spirit, the, the, the down payment on our inheritance of, of His presence. First, and uh, Chris shared us this passage uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Spirit is always directing our attention not to himself. Hey, look at me, I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty cool, look at all these things I can do. It, no, the Spirit is always directing our attention not to himself, but to Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament would say, how am I responding to the work of Christ on my behalf? Uh, if, if I am drawn to Christ to, to put my faith and my hope in him, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If I'm feeling amazed by the love of God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verses in the New Testament like this from Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to, to, to begin to, to get a glimpse of how much God loves us in Christ. Or, or later in Romans uh, the text says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery uh, to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as, as sons, beloved children, a, a spirit that leads us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. And that spirit bears witness with our human spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So the work of the spirit is, is to do things like incline me to, to call upon the name of the Lord, to, to, to cry out to God as my Father. Uh, the, the work of the Spirit is to incline me to obedience. Those, it's those who are led by the Spirit. And where, where is the Spirit going to lead you? The Spirit is going to lead you to trust in Christ. The Spirit is going to lead you to obey God's Word. The Spirit is going to convict you of sin turn you to Christ. All of these kinds of experiences, and they're not always pleasant, right? It's not pleasant to be convicted of sin, but that is part of the gracious foretaste of things to come, that, that God's Spirit is in us to point us to our hope in Christ, to turn us away from ourselves, to assure us that we are beloved children. These are all signs of God's Holy Spirit. And so I would say to you tonight, whatever, however small you might think it is, that you have experienced of the presence of the Holy Spirit, of, of His comfort, of His power, of His conviction, of His convincing work, of His inclining you to think maybe about loving someone rather than hating them, to, 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 to move you in the direction of serving others, however great or small, these are signs of the Spirit, and these are only a down payment on the good things you have to so find your assurance in this, in these things, in the promises of God, that God is a promise keeper, and in these signs of the Spirit, that the Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption, for the inheritance that is, is promised, that the Spirit is given to you as a guarantee that God will keep His word. He is protecting you if you are trusting in Christ. He has marked you as His own. And he is changing you. God is always up to something good in the lives of his children. And as we 
sacrifice. He will not leave you or forsake you. And how do I know that? Because he has already marked me with his seal. He has already given me his spirit as a down payment. He is already and always present with us. Oh no. You never let go. You never let go of me. That's right. Father, I pray that uh, you would bring us into a, a fresh assurance of salvation that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And that we will be marked with the promised Holy Spirit as belonging to you, as protected by you. And that we will experience that spirit as a, as a first taste, as a glimpse of the inheritance that lies before us.